Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading can be found on page 1128 of the Church Bibles. It's taken from Romans chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me say welcome to you, especially if you're here for the first time. Uh, uh, Gareth has already welcomed you, uh, but I'd like to add my own uh, welcome uh, to you tonight. Uh, I hope you've had a good summer one way or another, whether you've been on house party and uh, continue to enjoy that as you've been on the mystery tour. I don't know where the mystery tour was. I think it's a mystery that you get back as Gareth is the one who organises these things. Uh, So it's great you're here. Uh, Maybe you didn't even get away for the summer, but I hope one way or another it's been a good one uh, for you. I I was fortunate enough to get away with the family to France. Uh, We drove all the way down to La Rochelle. If you're not sure where that is, it's about halfway down on the Atlantic coast and it was uh, beautiful. It was brilliant. Great weather good food, uh, very relaxing. As a family, we were so excited as we got in the car in Sheffield. As it felt as if we were setting out on an adventure. Uh, Caroline and I had planned the holiday, so we knew where we were heading and we had a good idea what to expect. But still, there were some unexpected experiences along the way, like a snake and various... We can tell you about that another time. But for the children, they knew they were going on holiday, but they, and they knew that we were going to France, but, but they didn't know much more than that. So for them, the, the whole two weeks were full of unexpected experiences, including the snake. It, it figured quite big at one stage. It was quite big at one stage. Anyway, I haven't got that in the notes. Never mind the snake. On the whole, it was brilliant. But there were some tough bits. Uh, the journey, uh, 13 hours in the car. That was at times frustrating and dull. But without doubt, our overwhelming memory is of a brilliant time together. Now, I tell you all that because tonight we are setting out on an exciting adventure, not to France, but to Rome. Uh, Each week this term in the evening, we will turn to the book of Romans. We will be going back, uh, but we will be going to Rome. Now, some of you know the book of Romans well, and you know where this trip is heading, just as Caroline and I knew where our trip was heading. But let me assure you, there will be some surprises along the way. Uh, There always is when you open up the Bible. 
Others here won't know much about this book, just as my children didn't have much idea about our holiday. So for you this term, studying Romans will be one big unexpected adventure. Oh, there'll be some tough moments uh, for all of us. Moments when we have to think hard. Times when we'll be challenged in our understanding and our lifestyle. It won't all be easy. But I'm praying that by the time we end our journey, uh, well, this term, around just before Christmas, we'll look back and say that we've had a brilliant time together in Rome. Now, to that end, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Romans. Uh, We thank you that down through the years, it has been an amazingly fruitful book of the Bible, changing people and whole churches and whole uh, continents. Uh, We pray that it might have a very big and profound impact on us. And may we grow uh, increasingly excited about opening it week by week, uh, that it may feel as if we're going on an exciting adventure to Rome each Sunday evening. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me encourage you then, uh, it better be good now, let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Romans, page 1128 is the page number. The other thing you might like to do is to uh, grab hold of the sermon outline uh, that will help you to see uh, where we're going. As uh, I mentioned in the prayer, the Bible book of Romans has been massively influential in shaping the church as we know it today. John Stott called it the grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. And it is that. But forgive me if it sounds as if I'm stating the blindingly obvious tonight, but Romans is a letter. Verse 1, it was from Paul. Verse 7, it was to all the Christians in Rome. It's a letter. That might sound obvious and some of you are saying this is too simple. But I'm not convinced we always remember it when we're reading the book of Romans. We don't remember this is a, a letter first and foremost. Romans is not just a systematic theology. It's not just a statement of the gospel. It is that, but it's not just that. Romans is a letter and Paul wrote it for a reason. And as we understand the reason, we'll understand why this book is so crucial for us, particularly us today here in Christchurch Forward. Now, I reckon it's in chapters 1 and 15, although all the way through the book, but particularly in chapters 1 and 15 that we get the background to why Paul wrote this letter. You'll know Paul was a church planter. He went all around the place planting, starting churches. But Paul didn't, and this is really important, Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. So the Christians in Rome don't know Paul. They'd heard of him. Of course, everybody'd heard of Paul, but they didn't know him personally. And as we read through the first chapter, well, and the 15th, we begin to see Paul was desperate to get to meet the Christians in Rome. Just have a look at chapter 1, verse 10. He writes this, uh, I pray that uh, now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, he says in verse 11. Now look at verse 13. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. You get the feeling, the strength of the feeling. Paul was desperate to get to meet the Christians in Rome. And as we read on, um, we begin to see a little bit why. You see, the Christians don't know Paul. The Christians in Rome don't know Paul. And it seems that Paul is being misrepresented. Now, for those of you who think you know the book of Romans, and I'm pleased that some of you will, here's a verse that I reckon, I've only just noticed it this, uh, this last couple of weeks, Uh, Have a look at chapter 3, verse 8. 
here is Paul uh, deep in his, in his argument about what, uh, at, the, at the moment. Now, don't worry about what the argument is. He's talking about the gospel of grace. But just look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 8. You may never have seen this before. Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and some claim that we are saying, let us do evil that God, good may result. Now, don't worry what the point is there, but just see, Paul is being slanderously misrepresented. Now, because the church in Rome was made up of both converted Jews and converted Gentiles, and because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, it might just be that the people who are slanderously misrepresenting Paul are the Jewish Christians in the church in Rome. Now, whether that's the case or not, what we can see from chapter 3, verse 8, is that some people have been making these slanderous suggestions about the gospel that Paul is preaching. So here in this letter, Paul lays out the gospel, telling the Christians in Rome what he actually believes and what he does actually preach, as opposed to what some people are saying he preaches. And Paul is writing this so that the church in Rome will know that they can trust him. This letter then is about fostering gospel partnership. They don't know Paul, he wants to go and see them. He hasn't been able to go and see them. They're hearing strange things about him. He says, no, you can trust me. Now, fostering gospel partnership is crucial. It's vital for us today. These are our testing times in the wider church in England. And uh, many of you will know, perhaps you've been to other churches while you've been on holiday. You can go to other churches, and uh, many of the other churches in England are preaching gospels that are not the true gospel. So studying this letter will give us real clarity. It will tell us what the gospel is and therefore who we can be in gospel partnership with. And that's why Paul underlines his credentials at the beginning of this letter. You see, again, back to verse 1, Paul is an apostle. He states it not only in verse 1, but also in verse 5. Verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle. Verse 5, he received his apostleship from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying there, I'm not self-appointed. And so Paul is to be listened to. And Paul's message is not self-styled. End of verse 1, he proclaims the gospel of God. God's gospel, not his own. This is not my gospel. I got this from God. The book of Romans then is not Paul's opinion. What he writes here is not theological speculation and therefore up for discussion. It's not for us to say, oh, well, shall we believe this or shall we believe something else? This has been given to him by God. And so we must listen to this gospel. And here's the thing for us. As this is the authentic gospel, this is not only what we must believe, but it's what must be believed by others if we are to be in gospel partnership with them. Remember, that's why this letter is being written, so that the Christians in Rome can have confidence that they can be united with Paul in gospel partnership. It's kind of sad this summer year. In the next few weeks, uh, some of you will be leaving us uh, to go off to university. And let me assure you, if, if that's you, anyone in the building, I'm looking over here, I'm imagining that most of them will be sitting over here. But if you're about to go off to university, let me assure you, we'll miss you. Uh, let me tell you, we'll pray for you. And uh, we won't stop thinking about you just because you're not around anymore. Let me tell you what one of my prayers is for you if you're about to go off to uni. It is that you would choose a good church at uni that will teach this gospel 
See, in some university cities, there'll be many churches you could go to, but know this, they won't all be believing and teaching this gospel. And by the way, as we think about those who are about to leave university, uh, let me speak to those who are in uh, years uh, 12 and 13. The next year or two are going to fly by for you. You'll be pretty busy with exams and all those sorts of things. Don't worry, I'm not going to go on about that. Your teachers have already started, laid into you that first week back. This is a big year for you, all of that stuff. But it's true, the next couple of years are going to fly by. And so now is the time to get sure on this gospel so that when, in a couple of years' time, we're about to say goodbye to you, you will know what sort of churches to go to that you can genuinely have gospel partnership with. This series then in Romans will help that and it will help all of us. If ever we move on or particularly us here at Forward staying here thinking who can we have partnership with? So Paul is writing to foster true gospel partnership and flowing out of that he writes this letter so that true gospel partnership will be worked out practically. This is where the challenge is really going to come for us. Turn with me to chapter 15 if you will. Chapter 15. Uh, uh, the second part of chapter 15, page 1142. Look halfway through verse 23. Paul writes this. Since I've been longing for many years to see you. There, we've already seen that, you see. We, this is how he started the letter. I'm longing to see you. I've been trying my best to see you. Now we see it again. Verse 23. Since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. The situation is this. Paul has worked tirelessly planting churches around the eastern Mediterranean world. Now, as you can see there in verse 23 and 24, he wants to go to Spain, to the western Mediterranean world, to plant churches again. And his plan is to stop in on Rome on the way to Spain. I looked it up on an atlas just so that I could get clear on my mind. Western Mediterranean, he'd sail across, stop at Rome, and have a little bit of time there, then go on to Spain. That's how it works. So as he stopped in on Rome, he wanted to meet the Christians, but he wanted to do much more than that. Paul wants the churches, do you see the, verse there, the word there in verse 24? He wants the churches in Rome to assist him in his church planting work. Now the word assist there in chapter 15 verse 24 is a technical word for missionary support. And it means three things. It means financial support. Paul wants the church in Rome to give money to fund his trip to Spain. Second, the word assist means a company or escort. So Paul wants people from Rome to go with him to Spain. I'm going to stop in on Rome. You're going to get to know me. I'm going to go off to Spain to plant churches. Come with me. And thirdly, if you just uh, jot down to chapter 15, verse 31, you'll see that Paul wants the, the church in Rome to pray for him. Pounds, people, and prayer. All church planting endeavours need those three things. Pounds, people, and prayer. Uh, now, here at Forward, uh, if you come here regularly, you'll know we have a, a threefold vision to plant churches, to train leaders, and to grow forward. In the last five years, we've planted three churches, and we want to continue to plant churches, but it costs money, it costs pounds. It has cost us money already, both in setting up those church plants and with people leaving to go on plants, they take their giving with them, quite rightly. 
uh, to plant churches, we need leaders, we need people. And so we have a programme to train leaders. It's been very exciting this week to have our new trainees arrive here uh, to be trained over the next year or two. But again, there is a financial cost to train people. And so because we've planted churches and because we've trained and sent off leaders, we have a financial challenge this year. Paul wrote the book of of Romans to motivate the Christians in Rome to support him financially in his work of, of gospel planting churches. He wrote this book because the gospel should motivate us to give. See, as we study Romans, we'll discover the dire straits that all people are in as they face God's wrath. We'll see that particularly in chapters one to three. Let me tell you, in the next few weeks, it's not going to be pretty. We're going to see the dire straits that all men and women are in. And we'll see that very clearly, that the only answer to the greatest need that all men and women face is the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see that clearly, as it really gets into us, we will want to give money to gospel ministry because we'll see there's no other way to save people from sin and death and hell. And when we get that, we'll not only want to give money, we'll want to be involved in evangelism ourselves. For again, it is the gospel which motivates people to to go on church plants, to do personal evangelism. You know, as we, as we read through this book, we'll be saying, when Gareth gives notices about guest events coming up, we'll be saying, yes, I want to invite my friends because I know there's no other message they need to hear than the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. So studying Romans should make us more prepared to go on church plants ourselves in the, in the future, more passionate to tell people here in forward about the gospel now. Now, this academic year, you're going to hear a lot more about us uh, talking about something called a Passion for Life 2014. It is a year of training in evangelism and planning for a week of mission. Studying Romans should leave us all wanting to be involved in that initiative. Now, do you see how remembering that this is a letter will rescue us from simply filling our heads with theological information, but it will transform us to want to be people to, to, to go and pray and give And it will make us active in genuine gospel partnership if we get this right. Now that is just a very quick sketch uh, to the background of this letter. There is much more to say about why Paul wrote this letter. And uh, we'll see as we go along, much more. But as we work through this letter, we'll keep coming back to these key things again and again. So that we don't leave this study, as it were. I don't even want to call it study. As just theological mind-stretching exercise. That is the last thing we want. Now, with that background in place, the opening seven verses that we have before us, chapter one, verses one to seven, make a lot more sense. And the second side of the handout tell you all about that. There's four points, but don't worry. We're over halfway already, according to my notes. So we're on our way. The first point, Paul, the servant of the gospel, chapter one, verse one. If you open up a Greek New Testament, and I did that this week, you'll see that the letter begins... Paulos doulos, Paul, slave. Paul and doulos means, does mean slave, not servant, as we have in the, new, the uh, new International Version. It means slave. And a slave, remember, had no rights back then. You could put your slave to death without any questions asked. Didn't need a death certificate. You could buy a slave with his wife and his children, and then you could sell his wife and his children, and he'd have no comeback on you separated from his wife and children for the rest of his life. 
Here's Paul. Paulos doulos. Small. Paul. Slave. And you see, Paul is not bigging himself up here. So although Paul is an apostle, as we've already seen from verse 1 and verse 5, he doesn't think he's a big shot. He knows he's a nobody. Why? Because of what what we're going to see in here. Because he's been saved by grace through faith. And when you get the gospel, that becomes your attitude. Here, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I'm just a slave of the Lord Jesus. How amazing that he took this nobody, this, this useless, sinful person, and made something of him. I'll be your slave, Jesus. And you see, if you've got that attitude, how that will foster gospel partnership as well. Paul's heart, you see, as a slave has been captured by Jesus to be, verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. David Cook points out that the word gospel there means not just good news, as often we say, but it means momentous news. It is good news, but it's so much bigger than that. This is massive. Sixteen years ago, I was on a church weekend away in High Lee Conference Centre. Some of you may have been there. I still remember the date. It was the 31st of August, 1997. I'd just got up and had a shower and was walking back to my room and one of the church family, looking white as a sheet, said to me, have you heard the news? And I said, no, I've not been up long. And he said to me, Princess Diana is dead. Sixteen years later, I can picture the exact spot we were standing in when he told me that news. Asked me where I was on lunchtime on the 11th of September 2001 and I can tell you, I can picture it. My guess is that you'll remember too where you were when the twin towers of the World Trade Center were collapsing. Or when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. I know, you not, don't remember that. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You know, actually, he misquoted. He meant to say, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Anyway, you know, it was a big moment. He forgot his lines, fluffed his lines. It was the 21st of July, 1969. I was only six. I was about the same size as I am now, but I was only six. (laughs) But I can remember being at school, watching pictures of that first moon landing on a little black and white television. Momentous news. You know where you are when you hear it. That's what the gospel is. It is momentous. Indeed, it is the biggest news men and women will ever hear. That's what Paul is going to lay out for us here in this letter. It must change us, turn us upside down. Paulos doulos. I'm just a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ because of this message which has completely turned me around. Paul, the servant of the gospel. Secondly, God, the source of the gospel. Now, as we've already seen, the gospel comes from God. It is, end of verse one, God's gospel, the gospel of God. But it's verse two that is so crucial for us and for the church in Rome. The gospel that Paul proclaims is, verse 2, the gospel that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament as we call it. Now remember again, the church in Rome has both converted Jews and converted Gentiles in it. We'll see that later on in the book. Both Jews and Gentiles who've become followers of Jesus Christ. In Rome... And we see it most clearly as we get to the end of the letter. There seems to be a measure of division, tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Paul, being the apostle to the Gentiles, as he calls himself in verse 5, might well have been looked upon with suspicion by the Jews who've been converted. 
The Jewish Christians in Rome might well have been very wary that Paul was preaching a gospel that was undermining their heritage, a gospel that was different to their scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And so, do you see, he's very clear here in verse 2, right from the outset, that the gospel he proclaims is the very same gospel found in the Old Testament. Now, that was very important for the church in Rome to understand, and it's crucial for us to understand too. For the church in Rome, Paul says, this is not some newfangled gospel that I'm preaching. I've not departed from the Old Testament scriptures. Don't worry. Same gospel. This is the gospel rooted in the Old Testament. They needed to hear that because of their Jewish roots. We need to hear it for the opposite reason. See, time and again, I hear British Christians saying that they are New Testament Christians and they don't believe the old. So what do people say? Oh, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's a God of wrath. No, uh, he's nothing like the the New Testament God, the God of love. Or or this. Now, the Old Testament is all about law, about God giving us laws that we must keep if we're going to be right with him. But the New Testament, that's all about grace. I like the New Testament. Now, you'll have heard people say that. Maybe maybe you even feel that sort of thing yourself from time to time. But Paul is clear here. The gospel he preaches is the gospel that is rooted in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't teach a a different gospel or, or a different God to that of the new. Romans will teach us that very clearly. Paul, the servant of the gospel, God, the source of the gospel. Thirdly, Jesus, the center of the gospel. Verses three and four see how this argument is going god's gospel end of verse one the gospel that god promised in the old testament scriptures verse two is verse three about his son regarding his son it's about jesus now again i'm stating the obvious several times tonight this is a letter the gospel's about jesus it's not complicated but i I think we need to hear it The gospel is not the presentation of an idea or philosophy. The gospel is about a person. It's not about religion or a lifestyle, but it's about God's son, Jesus Christ. And that is a real challenge to me. Because when I talk to people about what I believe, my friends or people who come here at church, I can easily find myself talking about church. But look, we haven't proclaimed the gospel until we've spoken about the person and work of Jesus Are we going to see that in the book of Romans? And what is it about Jesus that Paul highlights here in verses 3 and 4? Well, first, that Jesus was descended from David. Do you see it there in verse 3? That is great King David. Jesus is the promised son of David. Now, that, of course, immediately underlines the point that Paul has made in verse 2, that the gospel of Jesus is totally linked with the promises of the Old Testament scriptures. But it's also saying something very important that that Paul is going to deal with later in this letter. And that is to highlight the humanity of Jesus, the the human nature of Jesus, or may I use this word, the flesh. Now, this is one of those moments where we're on the car journey and you're getting a bit bored. You might get a bit bored now. This is the hard moment. This is not meeting the snake that you're going to remember. This is on the car journey. But let me ask you to stay with it because it's quite a difficult point, but it's really important. And then we're nearly done. And then we'll sing and we'll go home. So just stay with me for a moment. He says in verse 3 that Jesus, the actual word is in the flesh. Jesus took on our flesh. Now why is that important? Because later on in the book of Romans we will read that our flesh leads us to despair. Our sinful flesh, as we are, 
leaves us totally unable to live God's law. Now, anybody who's a real Christian here will know that. In your human flesh, I'll just do it for me, in my human flesh, as I am, as a human, as a sinful human being, I cannot keep God's law. It's one of the reasons I became a Christian. I tried my hardest for some time to live a better life, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't live up to my standards, let alone God's. It left me in despair because I knew I was going to meet God one day as my judge. I was beside myself. We'll read that in Romans chapter 7. So in our flesh, we're we're hopeless. We haven't got a hope. But in verse 3, God's son was descended from David. He was fully human. He was in human flesh is the word in the original. But verse 4, through the spirit of holiness... He was able to live a perfect life, die the perfect death, and then in power was raised from dead to be seen as son of God and end of verse 4, Lord of all. In short, verses 3 and 4, a wonderful summary of the gospel. Paul is giving us a snapshot of the big message of the gospel of Romans. Here is the momentous news that although we cannot live the way we should because of our sinful flesh, Jesus Christ has taken on flesh and in the power of the Spirit has lived a completely holy life and in death and resurrection has brought resurrection life for us. That is the momentous news of the gospel. That's the good news that we have to proclaim to the world. And you might say to me, hang on, you jumped on very quickly there from verse 3 to verse 4. How did you get all of that? Well, this is the last little technical bit. Look with me at verse 4. Paul writes, verse 4, and who, uh, this is Jesus, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the NIV at the end of verse 4 has by his resurrection, by Christ's resurrection, he was seen to be the son of God and Lord of all, which is exactly what you'd expect Paul to write. But what Paul actually wrote was not by his resurrection, but by the resurrection. Surprisingly, Paul doesn't point to Jesus' own resurrection, but to the general resurrection of all people here. And the commentator, Andrus Nigren, argues that he does so so that we may know what, is, what, what we possess when we are in Christ. So I put this uh, quote, you'll see we're right at the bottom of the sheet, so we're almost there. You'll see this quote there by Nigren. It goes like this. In one short affirmation, in the fourth verse... Paul gives his understanding, pointing to the resurrection of Christ as the starting point for a new age and new humanity. If if I've lost you, the point is this. Because of Christ and anybody who is in Christ, a new humanity will live in the power of the spirit, not in the power of the flesh, and will be raised to resurrection life. That's momentous news. Life beyond the grave is not just for Jesus, but for anyone who is in Christ. And that is news that you and I will want to tell everyone, which is very briefly our fourth point. The fourth point, everyone in the whole world, the scope of the gospel, verses five and six. So this momentous news of resurrection life in Christ is news that everyone needs to hear. Look, I love doing this job. I, I um. I used to love doing this, the job that I I had all those years ago in newspapers. I found myself excited about going to work on a Monday morning when I worked in the newspaper business. I loved it. I loved the thrill of hitting deadlines. 
I enjoyed the challenge of trying to increase the sales of the newspapers that we published. It was my job to persuade people that their lives would not be quite the same if they didn't buy the Bedfordshire Times or the North Hearts Gazette. That was my job. I can't believe I did it, but I enjoyed it. But at the end of the day, I know it didn't make any difference to anyone if they brought our newspapers or not. And of course, many people just weren't interested in our publications, much as I tried to persuade them that they really should be, that life just wouldn't be the same if they didn't have a Bedfordshire Times this week. But all the time, I knew that it didn't really make any difference to them whatsoever. But now, now the Church of England pays me, pay me money. They actually give me money to persuade people that they should become Christians. The Church of England pay me to do that. Isn't that great? And I love that job because I know that this is everything that every man and woman and boy and girl that I ever meet, every man and woman and boy and girl who walks this planet needs to hear that message. Of course, just like trying to sell newspapers, a lot of people aren't interested and they think they don't need this. But I know, unlike the newspaper business, I know everybody does need this. I know it didn't make any difference to them whether they read the newspaper of the Bedfordshire Times that week or not, but I know it does matter to everyone that they need this message. News of life in Christ and resurrection hope. Everyone you and I ever meet needs to hear that news because, as we're going to read, everyone is sinful and everyone is going to die and everyone's going to face judgment. Just this morning I heard this news and then it was sent to me in an email of someone uh, in this congregation who was on holiday with a friend of theirs. They went, they were on holiday, having a great time, went out for a meal and, um, and uh, went, went for a quick drink before the meal, uh, ordered the drinks and one of them died. There and then, dead before they got him to hospital. It's all going to come to us. Everybody needs to know the answer to death. And here is the only answer to the problem of sin and death and judgment. And so the gospel is for everyone. Now Paul knew that. You see verse 5. Through him, that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles. That word all. That's the key word here. You'll see it again in verse 16 when we come to it next week. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of Everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile, that's the whole world. Everyone, Jew and Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are, everyone needs to hear this gospel, this momentous news that in the Lord Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven because he lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, rose again from the dead so that I put myself in him, I too can be risen. Everyone needs to hear that. And if you're not persuaded by that today, then by the time we finish this exciting adventure to Rome, you should be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you very much for this little book. Well, quite a big book, really. Uh, The book of Romans. We thank you that it's um, been used by yourself to transform men and women, to transform whole church families, to transform uh, whole denominations, to transform a continent. And we pray that, uh, even if it doesn't have quite that impact here in Sheffield, that it would have a massive impact on us. Now, why wouldn't it have that impact on Sheffield? We pray it would as we begin to study it uh, this uh, term. Please would you help us to uh, have our minds in gear Sunday by Sunday, But not just our minds in gear, but our hearts ready to obey, 
And please transform our lives, and as a result, the lives of many, many more, as the book of Romans grabs our heart. More than that, there's the, as you grab our heart, as the gospel changes us, that we may say with, with Paul that we are slaves of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.